0: Happy birthday, church. You don't look a day over 2,000 years. 2,000 years ago, more than that, Christ prophesied that the church would come into existence. He said he would build his church. So it doesn't matter what you hear in the public right now about how relevant or small or exiled the church is Jesus said he would build his church and he is building his church so far there is no one on the planet more powerful than he is so despite what you hear about ourselves this is your birthday it's a good day to be in the church is it not good day to receive 10 people as members what a beautiful symbol of what God is doing in our church At this day, a couple of thousand years ago, Pentecost. It was an extraordinary day. All the disciples were gathered in one place, about 120 of them. But they were all from Israel. And they were all together. And suddenly on this day, the sound of a rushing mighty wind came blowing into the room and then tongues of fire separated over the top of every one of their heads. And when that happened, they began to speak in other languages. Seventeen different nations had gathered in Jerusalem for the celebration and everyone heard the gospel in their own language. And the people were amazed They were bewildered, the Bible says, but some of them were cynical, and they said, these people are drunk. And then Peter got up, this this guy that was impetuous but always afraid, he stood up in front of all of the people, and he said, God has raised this Jesus to his right hand and made him boast lord and king and we are witnesses of this fact and as peter preached their hearts were cut by his words and they said what should we do and peter said repent and believe in the name of christ and then you will be baptized in the holy spirit all of your people will be and this was then fulfillment of what the prophet Joel said, when he said in that last day, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions, the old man will dream dreams, even on the servants, even on the hourly wage people, I will pour out my spirit, men and women, and they will all prophesy. I will show signs in the heavens, wonders on the earth, and everyone who believes in the name of the Lord will be saved. The word of the Lord. Pentecost scares me. I'm convinced that there is nothing we need more. And yet at the same time, if we ever got it, people from our own number would say we were losing our minds. Religious people I'm talking about. Because Pentecost, if we really take seriously what Jesus said, church, it strains at the boundaries of what many consider safe theology. It certainly strains at what most of us have settled for. And so the person who steps into the power of Pentecost will seem crazy to other Christians. So it scares me. I was 25 years old when they asked me to speak at a full gospel church. I never should have said yes. I came in and mingled around and people were already there and I could feel the fervor was rising. And about 15 minutes into the service, they started to sing. And when they sang, they were shaking the rafters. And then the preacher got up and he said, now it's time for us to pray. And about 400 people just started praying all at one time. There was nobody on the platform. Everybody just started shouting their prayers and everyone was praying in tongues i'd never i'm a wesleyan i'd never heard anybody praying tongues before and there were 400 of them like a wave and they were shouting all these languages and then after about 10 minutes of uninterrupted tongue praying the preacher got up and he shouted again and everybody got quiet and then he turned to me and he said all right brother it's your turn let's have a word from the lord <laughs> holy cow Jeez. <laughs> so I'm looking at my notes like oh shoot man the only thing I, I had nothing else to preach I got up and preached on blessed are the poor in spirit <laughs> so the service was this whiplash it was this sense of triumphal joy and then it was this Wesleyan kid <laughs> whose version of poor in spirit just means low self-esteem. <laughs> you could feel it. I was preaching in another church, I gotta quit doing that, and, and I was five minutes into this and, and there were people sitting on the floor and I was five minutes into this and all of a sudden, um about four or five of them, they jumped off the floor and they started pacing in the back. They were like back by the door and they were going back and forth like this while they were speaking, you know, to kind of square up while they're looking at you. Oh, you're preaching. Well, I kept going 10 minutes into this and then all of a sudden they started moving right at me. They started moving down the center aisle and they were walking like this. It was hard to concentrate. I'm thinking, I got something to say, and you guys are about ready to take over the stage and By the I, I just did what I knew to do. I just preached whatever was in me and checked for the exits and By the time the sermon was over i 'm not making this up. there were forty to fifty people like in a mosh pit, right down in front, right here, and they were like waving their hands and back and forth, and they were shouting, and I was thinking. Shut up, I'm trying to preach. (laughs) It is hard to navigate these things when people get overtaken by the spirit of Pentecost. Some woman jumped up in the middle of my message and said, but I have a word. Well, I thought, well, I, I had a word. But I deferred to her word. Can't remember what she said. So it scares me because it feels so uncontrollable. But let me say it carefully because some of you are about ready to get your Pentecost on. There is probably nothing that the church, yeah, the Wesleyan church, yes, College church, especially college church, needs more than fresh wind and fresh fire to come into this room. I don't know how many of you have said, I want to say something, I just want to say amen but I'm afraid. So if you feel like saying it, you say it. And I'll, thank you. I'll, I'll deal with the intellectuals later. The one for whom Pentecost means. So I'm just gonna talk, is that all right? If you take the pyrotechnics out of Pentecost, the wind, the fire, the crowd, the commotion, the tongues, interpretation, and you look at it and say, what actually happened that day that the church still needs in large doses today? I see two things primarily. One of them is a profound transformation of the disciples' character. They changed people in a second when the Holy Spirit came upon them. What we call spiritual formation or discipleship was compressed into a day when the Holy Spirit came upon them. It was extraordinary. And none of them were trained, eloquent, articulate, or very intelligent men. But all of them had been in a room where Jesus was, And the Holy Spirit came over them and he compressed years of spiritual growth into just minutes. God, give us that fresh awakening. God, do things in our church that it takes us years to figure out. Do something extraordinary. The second thing that happened when the Spirit came upon them, he not only Transformed their character, he amplified their influence. Their voice got heard by people who would not have heard it before. So if you contrast what is happening in the disciples' life about 10 days before Pentecost with what happened in their lives on the day of Pentecost, you see a radical change in their character and in their influence. They started out being self-absorbed. They were following Jesus, they were disciples just like we are, but they were self-absorbed. They were always debating amongst themselves which of them was the greatest, and they were doing this even, of all places, at the Last Supper. They were, (laughs) if you have to ask who the greatest is, it ain't you. If you are ever in a room and Jesus is in it, which is always, he is the smartest guy at the table. You should not be asking yourself, well, which one of us should sit on the right and the left? But after transformation, they gathered in one place. Nobody had need of anything because they were selling their goods and they were giving their resources to other people. They didn't even have to ask for it. They met daily in one another's homes, in opening the scripture and in hearing the testimonies and in praying together. These same disciples who 10 days ago were worried about sitting on the right and the left were suddenly, after Pentecost, Transformed into self-forgetful followers of Jesus. Oh, God, send that across the church. They went from being fearful to being bold in 24 hours. They were hiding from the Jews after the resurrection. They were nowhere at the scene of the crucifixion save John that we know of. They were running off to Emmaus because they weren't sure what happened. But suddenly at Pentecost, Peter stands in front of the same high priest who condemned Jesus so he knows the firepower he is up against. And Peter looks at the high priest and he says, God has raised this Jesus from the dead. He has taken the one, hmm, listen to him, the one you have crucified, God has raised. And he has made your stumbling stone into a capstone so that there is no other name given among heaven whereby all people, sir, must be saved. They call that nerve. It's an ex- he wasn't lippy, wasn't mouthy, wasn't taking a stand, whatever we do today. He, he was simply telling the truth to power instead of cowering from it. God took people at Pentecost who were divisive, who were cloistered, who would not let children come close, who would not speak to the Samaritans, the woman at the well, who wanted to call down fire on the Samaritans. Lord, you want us to smoke them. He took people who said, Jesus, we saw somebody casting out demons in your name, but he was not one of us, and so we told him to stop it. You see that kind of Israel first mentality. God took that in a single day and he tore down the walls. They are speaking to 17 different languages, men and women, people of all generations with the same message. And the power was not just in the speaking, but in the hearing. How is it that each one of us heard in our own language? What an extraordinary power. The power to tear down walls that make us all the same. They went from being all the same on the outside and different on the inside to being different on the outside and all the same on the inside. Wow, what a radical change. Am I describing something of what our church needs? God gave them a fresh wind of power. And he amplified their voice. When we hear this, we want to get this Holy Spirit. Our tendency is to say, yes, you're right about that. So what we need now is we need to receive the Holy Spirit, or as the holiness church is so fond of calling it, uh, baptized in the Spirit, possessed by the Spirit, filled with the Spirit. But if you listen to the language that I'm using right now, all three of those words, fit nicely into the narrative of the holiness movement, which is the difference between the life you have and the one you want is a transforming moment that comes in a few minutes. And that moment baptizes you. It possesses you. It fills you. And now you have something you didn't have before and your whole life will be different. I want to talk about something else. I want to talk about the discipline of walking in the Spirit. I heard Paul's words in Galatians 5. So if we then walk, In the Spirit, he said in verse 16. Verse 18, if we are led by the Spirit. Verse 25, if we live in the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. This is not so much an experience. This is the long discipline of learning how to stay with the Holy Spirit. So I went home that night and looked on the mantle and there was a photo, the last photo Jackie gave me of a picture she took in the mall. She was dragging behind (laughs) Uh, and this was Maddox was two. And I looked at the picture, and I thought of that phrase, let us walk in the Spirit. And I, I, got, I, I got the impression that said, and remember, son, you're the little guy on the left. So if you can picture that you are to walk with the Spirit and in the Spirit, you are to be led by the Spirit. Keep in step with the Spirit. It changes the way we think about the Holy Spirit's possession. When we ask for the fruit of the spirit, we are not asking for God to give us something we don't have. We are asking for a deeper relationship with one who is God. And then out of that relationship, these qualities are formed. But 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 the Holy Spirit church is not a commodity. He, he's not even a gift. He is a person. He is God Himself. And everything we want from the Holy Spirit, God gives us as our relationship with the Spirit increases. We don't need Him to give us the Spirit. He has already done this. In fact, Paul said in Romans chapter 8 verse 9, if any one of us does not have the spirit of Christ, we are none of his. So we're not even Christians if we don't have the spirit. The definition of a Christian isn't someone who says the sinner's prayer. The definition of a Christian is someone into whose life God has brought the Holy Spirit. So Paul would say in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 13, we are all baptized into one spirit and given one spirit to drink. He would say in 1 Corinthians chapter three, do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? So what we're asking for, or is not God to give us His Spirit? We're asking for the capacity to learn how to walk with the Spirit and stay in step with the Spirit. This implies not so much possession or being, it implies movement and discerning and growing and risking and hearing. Let me take the balance of the message and give you three words that I wish someone else could do this part, someone who is better at it than me, that guide um, our walking in the spirit. The first word is wait. Wait. you will be tempted to make something happen. You will step into a new job or a new relationship, you'll get new information, a new idea, and your first instinct is to execute because somebody told you, that the definition of a leader was that they decide somebody was wrong. The definition of a leader is to suspend decision until a decision is needed. You, You have a strong bias for action. Such that if something isn't, I mean, if you're not making something happen, you think nothing is happening. So, in your time alone with God, you will have to create a pause after you decide. Once you think you know what to do, you'll have to create space where you still don't do anything because you're trying to give God time to step in to the process. You will have to learn how to leave gaps of silence in your prayer so you talk to God and then you just go quiet. And you listen for God to put into your mind and into your heart words that he wants you to hear. And then you write them down. You will have to learn the difference. We talk about this sometimes on staff. The difference between what is built and what is born. When something is built, God can still be in it. He can still be forming it. But when something is built, nothing happens until you make a decision, get the resources, and then put your effort into it, and you execute your plan. You build the thing that God wants you to do. And part of life fits in that category. But a good half of life is not built. It is born. It is in you. You carry it, but you don't have control over it. And if you hurry it, you will abort it. Because the thing that God wants for you is being formed in the waiting so one of the hardest things we have to do is to wait for God to move after we think we know what we're supposed to do. We think the only thing we need to do now is execute. Seize the day. And we will have to learn to be as patient as we are driven. Is quiet. You're either bored, and that's entirely possible, or I think I just smashed a lot of your pumpkins. Man, I am sorry, you guys. I have died on this too long. Many times, many times, I have gone after something I think God wanted me to have, and it was born prematurely and it died. Second, are you ready for a second? There are only three, hang in there. Part of walking is waiting because your tendency is to get ahead. Come on, spirit, let's go. <laughs> so part of walking is listening. Listen while you walk. How many of you walk with your spouses? Let's yeah. see your hands. You walk with your spouses, yeah, I, the ones in shape. I can tell. You, yeah, Tim, you're in shape. You, the, uh, the tendency here is to walk with someone, um, and to not pay attention to them. I mean, I'm told that anyway. It, <laughs> yeah. People, my inseams are as long as Lori. So, I mean, we're just like, wait, wait. And I can get so focused on the waiting that I forget to listen. A couple things. Uh, You are tempted to think that you know what you're supposed to... You're tempted to grab on to assumptions and then curate all information around the assumptions you already have and dismiss if you do not completely ignore information that challenges those assumptions. So the thing to keep in mind about listening is... Paul's word, let us keep in step with the Spirit, literally means let us walk in a row. So he's not talking. About one person. One person can't walk in a row. He's talking about a community of believers that are walking in stride together. The beauty of this is God has given to people around us in the body of Christ a collective wisdom that we ourselves do not have. So, part of walking with the Spirit is keeping in step with the people that are in this room. It's belonging to classes and groups and little clubs, I guess, not cliques, groups, where people have different convictions and different information. And sharing freely our thoughts, convictions, feelings, and information without rushing to make up our mind. If we have done anything in the last three to five years, we have decided way too quickly on stuff none of us knew a lot about. And then when the information changed and we were wrong, we just went silent. We didn't say anything. We stopped prophesying. We never said Hey, I was wrong. I'm sorry. Which means we never learned anything. So to walk with the people of God, and here's the other thing. When the Spirit is trying to speak to me, He is not giving me information. He's trying to give me understanding. Your tendency is to think because you've heard something, you know it. Your tendency is to think, if I teach a subject, I I know that subject. The curse of knowledge kicks in and you can't learn anything else. So part of it is what we're after here is not more information. Google can give us that. We're after wisdom and insight into what is really happening. Paul said, I pray for your depth of insight. It's what we really lack. So in listening, I'm listening to circumstances. I'm listening to life. I'm listening to others. I'm listening to my companions, the ones I want in my life and the ones, well, I don't want in my life. The third and last one. Then I'm going to pray for us. Move. Some of us have a bias toward action. Others have a bias toward sitting. Too long. So when I speak of moving, and this is a learning curve for me, um, uh, because I'm, well, because I'm Dutch and We have to learn, people, how to listen to divine impressions, to holy impulses when they come along. Most of the time, they are not big and dramatic decisions. They're tiny little movements in the course of a day, and I think there are dozens of them. And when they happen to me, my tendency is to measure the pros and cons And to say, well, if I do this, what if that? And play it out in my mind. Or the tendency for me is to say, if I do that, do you know how stupid that is going to look? And not only that, if it goes badly, it will even be stupider. So it's to pull back to save face. So we will have to learn a boldness to act on impulses. What did Oswald Chambers say? You have nothing to do with the afterwards of obedience. You have nothing to do with the afterwards of obedience. If God is saying this to your spirit, do it. There isn't anything I think we need in our church today, anything we need in our lives today, more than we need the Holy Spirit. When we survey Christians today about where they struggle in their life, we've done this for 50 years, and they always say the same thing. The answers have never changed. They always say, I struggle with the assurance of my salvation. I struggle with my prayer life. I struggle with my witnessing. I don't know what to say. Many of them say, I struggle with this sin, this, this thought life, this imagination. I can't, get, I can't get these thoughts out of my head They're impure, they're violent, they're angry, and I can't shake them. But church, the Holy Spirit has come so that all of these things would be taken care of. When he comes, his spirit will bear witness with your spirit that you are a child of God and you will cry from your spirit, Abba, Father. So there goes the problem of assurance of salvation. When he comes and you can't pray, the Holy Spirit will intercede for you with groans that cannot be uttered. So there goes your problem with praying. When he comes, he will endue you with power from on high and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and all across the world. So, so much for the trouble of I don't know how to witness. And Paul says, the person who is controlled by the spirit does not gratify the desires of the flesh, which means that we get rid of evil thoughts, not by pushing them out of our minds. But by learning how to walk daily in the Spirit. For as we walk in the Spirit, there is no room in our lives for these things that we keep trying to push out. We naturally love. And we are full of joy, and there is peace, and we are patient and long-suffering. We are kind, we are gentle, we are good, we are self-controlled because we are in stride with the Spirit. All the rest are just the benefits. Some of you are trying way too hard to be pure ought to put that effort into keeping in step with the Spirit and the purity take care of itself. All right, I'll say it. Amen. That's right. That's right. I want this for you like I want it for me. I want you who follow Jesus To step up to higher ground and to be possessed by the Spirit until you walk in Him naturally. And I want that for the Wesleyan church, but I want it for college church. I want a church on fire. Can I pray for you? And when I'm done, I'm going to ask you to pray for us, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. I confess we do not know what these things mean. We have the ability, or I do, Father, to describe what I know not. Somewhere in the words, in the vision, give us a fresh wind of the Holy Spirit. Slow down for us. You're doing so much. Help us to walk with you. Talk to us through people we like and some we don't like and say things that we need to hear and give us a humble spirit so that when we hear it, we don't defend ourselves. But we receive it with humility and gladness, knowing that behind it is your voice. Walk with us, we pray. Transform our character, amplify our influence. Let none of our words fall to the ground, give them force. Help them to penetrate the armor, divide the soul and the spirit, discern between the thoughts and the heart of a person. Give us words. Give us holy dispositions inclinations to live and act and react like Jesus so that our personalities open like flowers and we are winsome until people want us in the room. Give us supernatural power, the capacity to do what we could never do alone and help our fruit to last even after we've left the room for the sake in the name of Jesus Christ.